This is Suzanne Toro, and I want to thank you for joining us today. We have special guest Silas Height. He is going to share his music, his wisdom, and his evolution with the word joy. Without further ado, let's dive in with Silas. I want to thank you for being here today. I am super excited to talk to you about your music and also um, just the possibility for an artist within the industry of music. And you definitely exemplify the person that really maximizes what you can do with your talent. So I think you are going to be a great inspiration to those that aspire to create or are creating right now. And I would love for you to share with the listeners just give a little background about yourself well thanks for the intro (laughs) that was very kind i'm happy to be here thanks for having me um yeah my name is silas height i am a composer most of the time i'm scoring writing the music for film television shows commercials video games um things like that i also make albums um mostly for pleasure they're mostly like my music and uh, just sort of what I feel like expressing. So sometimes I hop around to different genres. Um, I've got a new record out right now called Sounds for a Dinner Party that's sort of elegant, semi-orchestral type music, um, but kind of more playful and fun. Um, and like there's catchy melodies and stuff within it. Um, I'm also working on a record called The Satin Cowboy and the Seven Deadly Sins, which is more like Americana sort of mm. influence, um, some bluegrass country-ish influence, like old country. Um, so I write a lot of different styles of music, and I've been doing it for about 15 years. Um, the first seven years of my career, I worked as an in-house composer at my uncle's music studio. So he's a composer. His name's Mark Mothersbaugh, and he scored uh, many, many films, TV shows, and whatnot throughout the years. Um, he was in a band, is in a band called Devo. Some of you may know him through that. And um, so I learned from him and my other uncle, Bob, who's also a Devo and a composer. I learned from them and worked with them for about seven or eight years. And then about seven or eight years ago, I went freelance. So I'm just doing the same thing, but on my own now and I'm my own boss. It's just me. And I write music pretty much seven days a week, either for clients or myself. Most of the time it's for clients, but when I can sneak in time to do it for myself, I do, and that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> makes you happy. makes you joyful. 
right? Yeah. You get to create pr- right. from from within mm-hmm. for you. So, you know, what I was so impressed about you is that you do jump into all these different arenas and oftentimes an artist uh, might just limit themselves. Maybe they think they're just as a, not just, but as a musician to be on a stage in a stadium or um, I don't know, whatever that vision Mm -hmm. is they have, Mm -hmm. but they don't think outside beyond like, what else can I do within my craft to one, uh, support me and also keep feeding the ability because I think you're so blessed like I, I have good friends with a lot of musicians well known to ones that um, have found a way to make a living with their art um, but you're so blessed because you get to do it all in my opinion um, <laughs> so can you sh- share I mean obviously you had two great mentors to assist you but what really inspired you? Like, what was that deep root thing that inspired you to, like, one, learn a bunch of instruments and then just to go for it, you know, in all these sure. different arenas? Well, I think I would have to say probably a lot of inspiration came from my parents. My dad plays a lot of different instruments, and my mom used to pick up instruments from time to time um, when I was a kid. And my dad played guitar in the house, like, all the time and we took drum lessons together when I was 11 and first showed interest in music and so they were very supportive Um, and of course seeing my uncles in Devo um, when I was a little kid like that was inspiring to me like oh this is you know my this is in my family this is part of what we do sort of and of course I felt very like a creative bend as a kid for sure and as I got older I you know high school college I realized, okay, I'm, I'm smart enough to do what I want to do in life. I'm, you know, lucky enough to come from a supportive background of parents. I'm able to go to college. I'm able to study what I want to do, and they're supportive of what I want to do. What do I want to do? And I really thought about it a lot, and, and really it just came back to music in one way or another. And, and I didn't know exactly what, what I would do if I'd be a performer or a composer or a producer or a mixer. Because all of that really interested me, and there's so many different paths within music. None of them, none of them easy to make a living, of course. <laughs> but I, I felt confident in my ability to really apply myself, work hard, and give it a good shot. Um, and and so that was sort of, you know, that was sort of my. I, I just I knew that music was the way to go. When I was done doing homework, when I was done doing chores, when I was done doing things you know, other things that I had to do and I had free time, I was like, what do I like to do with that free time? And it was pick up an instrument and noodle around, whether I was good at it or not. And so I, you know, I kind of listened to that and, um, and followed that. Mm. Um, Beautiful. Does that answer the question? I feel like I missed part of this. What was the rest of the question? Did I answer it all? (laughs) (laughs) You did. You answered it all. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I, I tend to have long question lead-ins. Uh, <laughs> so with, with that being said, would, would you say from uh, being a composer and then being able to work out in the commercial market, meaning movies, commercials, maybe television yeah. shows, all of those, uh, how do you find that different from obviously doing your own compositions, which are really beautiful. This new mm. album is amazing and your next Thank one you. outcoming is amazing. It's your versatility really is an asset, obviously, um, in these arenas. Mm-hmm. How 
how do you uh, separate the two when you're out in that commercial market <clears throat> and really serve the project in your creative yeah. process? I think that's the hardest thing to do for most musicians or composers is realize that you are there to serve the project more than realize your musical ideas so much. And that's, that's tough. And it varies from project to project. Some projects allow for more of your self-expression for sure. And those tend to be more rewarding, um, in, you know, like, a, <laughs> uh, emotionally, creatively. Um, but you really are there to help the director or producer or team of people realize their vision and tell their story. And so a lot of times what I'm doing is more like craft, you know, it's more the craft of it than some sort of magical art inspiration music. It's, it's more about, okay, we need to get from point A to point B and using these instruments telling with this emotion, hitting these very specific points, how do I do this? And I'm problem solving and my, you know, my skill set comes into play and my experience. And it's, it's more like a craft and, and there's opinions to listen to. So then the director will weigh in or the producer or a whole team of people gets to say, I like this. I don't like this. This isn't working. This is cool. And I have to use all that feedback, synthesize it, you know, and revise what I've written to come up with something that pleases everyone. So that's the process of working for other people which is difficult. It's not easy. And that's why, you know, a lot of musicians, if they get a shot at it, they end up saying, wow, this is, you know, this is tougher than I thought. It's not easy to be uh, told that, you know, what you've created that you feel really good about isn't working or isn't right or what, you know, right. and then have to change it many times. Um, but they're paying me and that's, it's the job. And that's what you have to realize and being good at that and being able to roll with it and, you know, roll with the, the um, feedback is a big part of it. And so that's creating for other people. Now you ask the difference between that and creating for yourself. I create for myself albums and, you know, pieces of music for performers to perform because I need, uh, I need to do that. I need to create where no one else has a say in it, where people aren't giving me feedback and I can really just express what I want and do whatever I want with it because that feels very freeing and that really feeds, you know, my creative soul, I guess. Um, and so doing both sort of maintains a balance by, by doing that and having that outlet for myself, I'm then able to also write music more as a craft, more of a, you know, getting the job done for someone else mentality and be happy with that and be okay with it and want to do a good job. Beautiful. And through, through your journey, uh, one, what was the first instrument you played that you picked up as a kid? Drum set. I drum started set. With drum That's right. Set. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, good inspiration studied... from Devo. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they've had many good drummers for sure. Starting with my <laughs> Uncle Jim actually was their first drummer. Yeah. But um, then, uh, yeah, I started with drum set when I was 11 and studied jazz drums starting out. And although I was definitely more into rock and roll, <laughs> right. but it was a good foundation for sure. And then from there, I picked up like guitar, bass, piano, accordion along the way, just started picking up other instruments. And what instrument currently resonates with you or has your attention? Oh, gosh. I mean, I play a part of the wonderful thing about being a composer is you get to play a lot of instruments or you can make that part of your career. And I have so 
I just wrapped up a Netflix show, and I can't tell you the name of it because it hasn't been announced yet. But I will say it's food-related and will be coming mm-hmm. out soon. And the episode I was working on, um, some of the cues, I would play guitar, ukulele, congas, shakers, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of percussion, um, electric bass, and so I was, and keyboards as well. So I'd be playing anywhere from, you know, three to four to up to six or seven different instruments on a single cue just um, because I can and, and music is better when you have real instruments. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know how much your listeners know about, you know, how this works, but sometimes what you're hearing is they're all sampled instruments. I don't want to say they're fake because they could be recordings of real things, but it's someone playing them on a keyboard. So for example, you could yeah. play the drum part on a keyboard. Right. Synthesized and, sound. And, yeah, and maybe they're even, you know, maybe those are samples of real players, but it just isn't the same as a person with microphones in a room recording it and that sound. You get a much richer, fuller, more human sound. And so anyway, I try and incorporate that as much as I can in everything that I do, as many live instruments as possible. Beautiful. Yeah, it's the difference between it for me, like reading a digital book and holding a book, <laughs> you know, sure. Where, sure. where it's like you can have the layers uh, and share a little bit about sampling and mixing and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for people that don't understand, as you touched on, that a lot of times you're not hearing, and I'll say it, that you're not hearing actually like the real instrument being played live for you for that mm-hmm. bed of music. Uh, yeah. for, for you and even like producing on albums, your own music, watching kind of over the past 15 to 20 years this automation where everyone's mixing all their music and their layers and what has that brought forth for you as a as a composer and what has it inspired and maybe what has it made you be like oh I'm a little like sure. frustrated with <laughs> um well I, I don't know about the frustrated part but I will say that you know being a composer these days you have to own like, I guess being at the level that I'm at right now, you have to have the best sample libraries and the best sounds available and keep up to date with all of that stuff, which is expensive and not easy, but you have to have the best sounds that you can. So, for example, if I get hired to, let's say, write a string quartet for a commercial, um, m- most of the time the turnaround is so fast that I can only use samples. So I'm playing the cello part on my keyboard. And it's, it's triggering notes that are actual recordings of a real cellist. And they sound amazing. And then violin, same thing. And I, you know, and I write the piece using these samples. And to most people, they would never know that those are just samples because A, the, the recordings are wonderful. B, I know how to write it and mix it in a way that makes it sound realistic. And C, they're not hearing it up against a real recording of the same thing. If you're able to A, B those things, like hear the sample version, and then hear the same piece of music recorded by real people, you'd be able to hear the difference. And most people would like the, you know, the recording with real people. Um, but a lot of times if the projects are super fast turnaround or they don't have the budget for me to hire, you know, string players, uh, then you get samples. And that's okay. That's all right. But a lot of what you're hearing out there on television and stuff like that is sampled stuff. And that's why sometimes when you do hear the real thing, when they go that extra mile or carve out that extra piece of budget to hire real players, it just sounds so much better. A good example is I've written a lot of music for Chef's Table, which is a documentary series on Netflix. And they, the, the visuals are beautiful. The cinematography is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's, um, 
it's all about the chefs and the food and it's not really your typical cooking show it's not like a reality show right. or something like that it's it's very sumptuous just looking at it and so the music they wanted the music to have that as well and so they you know carved out a budget for real string players and so the music is really beautiful gorgeous real players and as a result the show's been a hit people love the music and i keep getting calls like we love the music for this can we have you write music for our show and we want that sort of sound and i'm like okay well those are real players that's how you get that and they say okay that's great yeah um so for me it's been a good thing and and i i'm still trying to answer your question and part of it was you're fine. You keep going. Questions, right? I do. I have a complex mind, but keep going. You're doing it's fantastic. good. It's uh, keep keep on track. So, uh, yes. So it made me. It's over the years I've realized. Yes, you can get away with using fake sounds, and most people won't know the difference. But if you have the opportunity to play real instruments, use real people, do all that, even though it's more work. It's uh, you get a better product in the end. I hate to say product. You end up with a better result in the end. And so when I make albums for myself, I go to great lengths to make everything, you know, as as real as possible, performed by real people. You know what I mean? Um, even if even if I know that 90% of the audience won't catch it or know, um, I still do it because to me, it's just more human. And the more human it is, the more people connect with it. And that is what brings me joy is when people connect with my music and they, and they tell me, you know, and you can tell the difference between a friend saying, oh, yeah, I liked your record, just being nice, which is fine, too. Yeah. Or someone who's really connected with your music and it meant something to them. And to me, that's like, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. And, you know, what if we translate back to that vision of the artist that wants to be, you know, a diva or on stage or in a stadium, you know, mm-hmm. working with a well-known hip-hop band, they synthesized everything. Everything was synthesized music. They would bring sometimes the strings or different beds that they wanted to layer in, but they actually automated so much of even the voices on their album that they had to have live mixers, you know, in concert which is complicated because then to try to recreate, you know, something that you created in a studio in a live performance when if you use real instruments and just people's voices exactly how they are, <laughs> then uh, you have the ability to create that real tactile experience um, in person too. Mm-hmm. A little bit more effortlessly, I guess. Although yeah. those live mixes are pretty amazing. I was <laughs> They could do all that. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. So if you can uh, also share with the listeners about uh, your passion for, when I listen to your music, there's such a nostalgia to it. Was that with you all your life? Like, were you a nostalgic child? Uh, And even within your compositions, there's just something, I don't know, brings, brings me like way back beyond this era. I think with the probably with what you're referring to would be the sounds for a dinner party record. Um, I, you know, I can't say that nostalgia is something that I strive for. Um, maybe it's just something that comes up naturally in my music. I mean, I'm trying to elicit emotion certainly um, with my music and get people to you know to to stir up some feelings in them, and and perhaps nostalgia is what it is for you. Mm. 
And okay, so emotions are uh, mm-hmm. are when you're creating, and this might be like a real personal question. Are you like working with a, a set intention or emotion, and are you taking it on a journey, a story? Because the composition is a story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 A good example would be the sounds for dinner party. Um, you know, I had a a real intention for this record. I wanted it to be something that you would put on um, with your meal. Like for example, so you know, when people when food when people are really into cooking or entertaining. You know, they want to have a dinner party. They really think about what am I going to make? And they, they set their intention for the menu, the people they invite, the atmosphere, all of this. And then a lot of times people don't really consider the music or they just, you know, flick on a playlist on their phone like, oh, that's good enough or what, and don't think about it. And of course, I think about music a lot more. So I wanted to give people something where they could, you know, if they're going to that length with the food and the atmosphere and all that, have a record that works for that scenario. And so the music is meant to sort of mirror a dinner party. So the first track, for example, is called Petit Apertif. And it's just a little sweet, short track to sort of bring you into it. And then after that, and I should mention, all the music's instrumental on this record. So there's no mm-hmm. voices, which I think can be a little bit distracting because um, people are trying to talk at a dinner party. Right. There should be good conversation. So. In the music, within the, these tracks, the different instruments are sort of talking to themselves. Melodies are trading back and forth between, let's say, a cello and an accordion. And they're kind of mimicking what would happen at a dinner party, this conversation. And then as the album progresses, you know, the first side is a little bit more lively. And then the second side, towards the end, it starts to slow down a little bit. And the last track is a very mellow um, string quartet called Lightness of Being, um, Digestif. And it's sort of meant to sort of, you know, as the meal mm. concludes, people are relaxing, conversations relaxing, slowing down a little bit. Maybe you've had a couple of glasses of wine, everyone's feeling relaxed. And so the yeah. music sort of mirrors that. And so, yes, there's, there is definitely intention with the music. I mean, I do let it guide me somewhat in that when I'm writing, you know, ideas just come to me. I don't know what they are, but through the music. But I'm always still trying to shape it and tell the story that I want to tell and kind of guide it mm. in, in that way. It's not just a free-for-all. Beautiful. And, you know, as I'm staring at the, the, your vinyl here, and the, it's a menu. <laughs> Are you a chef also? <laughs> like, no, I wish. Because <laughs> I'm going to write a menu with this. I'm like, oh, wow. Because yes, it feels like do. you're taking through all the courses and then you know like sugar sketch we're at dessert <laughs> so uh-huh. yeah it would be really fun to do like a, some sort of pairing with each of the songs um <laughs> the yeah. hard part about making a record like this is i feel like um people have really connected with it and you know i've gotten amazing feedback from from listeners um and i want to promote it more and put on live performances and things like that but boy, I'm so busy scoring TV shows and movies and things like that, that it's just, it's almost impossible to promote these things, which is really a shame, but it would be so fun to do a, a tasting, like a pairing. Each song has a, you know, a little, Absolutely. a little uh, <laughs> a counterpart, food counterpart. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, with the station down here, there's a local chef. Maybe we can arrange something. <laughs> yes, it would be a it. lot of fun, but yeah, my, yeah. my, 
my culinary side has a menu in my mind, so we'll see what comes out. Uh, so that was one of my next question is you're busy with work, meaning composing mm-hmm. for others, and then mm-hmm. your work. Uh, so you, you, do you get out live, or how do you um, basically... I... For years, I did do live bands here in Los Angeles, um, and they would be different bands. The last one I was in was a flamenco band called Alma Sangra, and it was, um, we had a dancer, it was beautiful, very dramatic music, and Mm. um, before that, it was a rock band, and before that, it was, and I used to play here in town with my wife a bit as well, and we had a band, but in the last, I would say, two years, um, I stopped playing live, Um, just, I've just been too busy, it was just too much to keep it all keep it all going um and frankly i never the part of music that really drew me in was the writing and recording the performing mm-hmm. part i never really enjoyed that as much like it's 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 fun to be on stage sure and people especially if people like your music and it's fun to see all your friends there and, and and all of that is cool and the communal aspect of performing when you you know you're friends with the people in your band hopefully <laughs> you know that part's very fun but playing the same songs over and over again is like torture to me it's so boring <laughs> it's like yeah. it's ridiculous to me it to me it's like you move your finger uh, i'm not i'm not going to get into it because some people that they're passionately love it so i don't want to i don't want them to think no. i'm mocking it it's just not for me that's all yeah well it's a special so. skill set because and that's why i said in the beginning you have it all because you get to keep creating where if you do create an album and tour with it that's what you're doing every single night. Um, could could yeah. be for a good year, year and a half, and then mm-hmm. you go back in the studio and create your next. Um, yeah. So it's definitely a diff- different rhythm, but you you get to be playing all the time, which is fantastic. Yeah, and the other the other part of touring that I don't like enjoy is the or or even just staying in Los Angeles and playing shows is the. It's really the time when you're not on stage, getting to the venue early for sound check, waiting around for hours, sitting through the other bands, you know, which may or may not be good, you know, right. and then, and you're just, you're at a bar for hours and hours, and there's a difference between meeting your friends at a bar for a good time and just waiting to do your thing. It's like, it's too yeah, much. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, so... For your next album, it's completely finished, correct? Uh, uh, I, the Sounds for Dinner Party has been released, and that's been out for a while. The, the one I'm working on right now is uh, Satin Cowboy and the Seven Deadly Sins, and that's Americana, sort of, um, you know, with that country, bluegrass-ish yep. influence. And when I say country, definitely not like what you would hear on the radio, like new country type stuff at all. This is very much like acoustic instruments. Um, like think of like maybe the Abbott brothers and yeah. John Prine influence, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm working on that right now in between all these other, you know, the, the paying projects. Um, I've got 10 songs that are mostly done. So I'm hoping to wrap it up and release that in the spring, maybe early summer. Beautiful. And I noticed you uh, went to uh, U of A, Bear Down. Uh, yeah. College, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, did any, Tucson. any, I love Tucson. I grew up down there for a little bit. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, did any of your music get inspired by even touching, I don't know how, if oh, you're yeah. just a college person there, but, or if you spent additional time in the West, because Tucson has a very unique 
feel to it. It's not a yeah, traditional yeah. town, so to speak. Yeah, I, well, I grew up in Arizona, so the West definitely has an impact on me, and more so musically, I would say Tucson. Um, the mariachi bands were wonderful. I love that yeah. influence. Also, um, Calexico, which is uh, you yeah. know a, a Tucson treasure, but of course they've they're bigger than Tucson. But that sound that they sort of have become famous for is so iconic, and to me that just sounds like the desert, sounds like the Southwest, and it, it's a huge influence on me. Um, I'm thinking about this this next record after after the. <laughs> After the one that I'm working on right now is released, I'm going to do another one that's all instrumental. And mm. it's going to be very much the sound of the Southwest as I mm. interpret it. And I'm sure it will be influenced by Calexico. Oh, um, but it's going, to be, it's going to be called um, No Chatting, Just Satin. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Because it's all <laughs> instrumental. So. Yeah, I um, love it. Yeah, but I think it'll have that sort of uh, the lens of Tucson for sure for me because... Yeah, I really identify a lot with that that sounds that soundscape, that visualscape, and all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, where in Arizona did you grow up? In central Arizona, up in the mountains, a very small town called Crown King. It's a wonderful little town that used to be a mining town. All the mines had shut down, but it was a gold mining town, and um, there's only about a hundred people there. It's very small, off the beaten path. I love it. It's in the Beautiful. middle of the National Forest. So oh, nice. Well, so I have a... You can't go too much there? No, I said, it, fortunately, it can't grow too much. Oh, it's okay. in the middle of a National Forest, which is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's still some of those things there. Which So I have an a interesting thing that happened to me when I was in seventh grade. Devo <laughs> came and played yeah. at my junior high. <laughs> nice. Wow! And so, it's and when I was, junior high. Yeah, it was. I, <laughs> you know, that was. You know, we had records. It was in the what early '80s. I don't know, but uh-huh. <laughs> I, I still won't ever forget that because I was a little confused. You know, obviously the administration set that up, but <laughs> yeah, I won't ever a, forget. <laughs> what a wonderful, bizarre influence to have on on junior high kids. That's probably why they did the gig. They were like, oh, yeah, we definitely want to get in these kids' heads. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, because that was before MTV or anything. Like, you literally had to go to the record store and sample music yourself yeah. to see what you liked. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting coincidence that I'll never forget. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like it was, great. Like it was yesterday. So, and where was it? In Tucson. Um, the in school Tucson. Townsend. Okay. Yeah, wow. very. But they, you know, they came out with the red hats or pot-looking things yeah. that they're known yeah. for. Um, mm-hmm. It was just like I said, someone must have known someone, and they, maybe they wanted to try it out and see if kids liked it. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> we That's we funny. were the test group for that for sure. So, uh, <laughs> small world. So, yeah. and if we can segue before we close out today to the idea of really keeping your joy, like yes. your inspiration and your enthusiasm out in the world as far as uh, your creation process. Because like you said, in mm-hmm. the commercial side, you can forget that maybe you're in service to the project. But what do you do to keep your, your juice flowing so you can give best in whatever mm-hmm. you're working on? Yeah. Well, um, 
I pick up a lot of new instruments and play instruments. That really brings me joy, like getting a new instrument, even if I don't play it very well. I've never played it before. Just trying to see what I can coax out of it. The new sounds really um, lights up my brain and just, you know, I, I get all sorts of inspiration from that. So new instruments definitely do it for me. Um, I get the joy of, like I mentioned before, find, when someone tells me that they've really connected with my music and they let me know, that is like the most pleasing thing in the world. I feel like it's like it's like you speak a dialect or something. Everyone understands music and listens to music. I shouldn't say understands, but everyone listens to music, so you know they're familiar with that language. But you know, when you write your own music, it's like you're using this dialect, and not everybody gets it. Not everybody understands what you're saying. But when people do you really feel the sense of connection. So that brings me joy. And the joy that comes from writing something new that I, as I'm writing it and it's coming to me, you, sometimes you get this feeling like, this is good. This is really good. I know this is going to be good. And I can see the whole song laid out before me, like what I'm going to do with it, recording-wise, instrumentation, and all the possibilities. And that's really an exciting feeling because I don't know where that comes from. You know, it's this... Right weird otherworldly thing and it just comes to you and that's a beautiful feeling uh and then um when i listen back to a record i've made like maybe a year or two later like after i've gotten some perspective or time away from it because when i'm making a record i'm often recording like writing and playing all the instruments myself or for the most part i'm you know recording it mixing it producing it all this stuff you still spend so much time with it so it's nice to release it, be done with it, and then come back like a year later and listen to the whole thing. And fortunately, I'm happy to say, like most of the time when I do that, I'm, I'm like really proud of it and I feel great about it. And, and that's a wonderfully gratifying feeling to really connect with it and listen. And, and I'm also, as I do that, I'm taking through all the memories of making it, the memories of what the lyrics are about. And sometimes I'm treated to like a a new perspective like oh wow I was actually writing about this in my life at the time and I didn't even realize it but now it's very <laughs> clear <laughs> yeah so that perspective is interesting so that's um on the music side that's where I get you know where I'm really getting the joy and you know I gave us a lot of thought because you told me you wanted to talk about joy and and from music and I realized a couple of things that like joy is a moving target like where you get mm. it from it's not always the same uh, in the past for me it was just a joy to write music for other people. Like they wanted what I did and they liked it. And that in and of itself was enough. And that was exciting. Like for years and years and years, I felt like I'm, I'm getting away with something. I, I can do this. Wow. You know, that was a huge joy. And then after, you know, it's been 15 years of doing it. And so that sort of joy is like, mm -hmm. yes, I know that I can do that. I'm secure in that. So that sort of joy is sort of passed a bit. Um, sad to say, but maybe it's true. Um, but I think that, <laughs> But I think it's okay to realize and be okay with it. Some joys are joys for a while and then they pass. And right. joy is like a moving target. And so the ones that I did list for you or this, where I still get it from, those are ones that have remained a bit more more constant throughout my you know, career so far, my life. Mm. And outside of, of music, what lifts you up in the world at large that we live in? My wife. We're right. 10 years oh. in, and oh. I'm madly in love with her. It just gets better every day. She's nice. the funniest, smartest, um, beautiful, wonderful person. So I get a lot of joy from just hanging out with her and doing stuff. Um, I love to travel. That's, that's huge for perspective. And uh, 
you know, kind of fills me up. And spending time with my friends and family. I'm at a point in my life where I think for a while I really um, was more concerned or more interested in music and my career and creating than anything else, pretty much. And right. so I think I spent less time with friends and family. And now I'm sort of getting to a point where they're bringing me a lot of joy, the time that I can carve out to be with good friends and family. And so I'm enjoying that, too, outside mm. of the music. And I'm actually trying to bring more friends and family into my music now and work <laughs> with them because it's fun. I did this project this summer. It was for the Cleveland Contemporary, let's see, Cleveland Triennial for Contemporary Art. Mm. And I, I was brought in by my friend John Hershend, who I've teamed up with quite a bit. He's an artist and a director. And um, we wrote a theme, theme song for Cleveland and Akron, which is where my mom's side of the family is from. So an area that's very near and dear to me. Nice. And I wrote the music. John did the music video. I got to go back and perform with a band at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame gave us an exhibit for about three months, which was, you know, oh. insanely cool. Um, That's amazing. But, but I was able to bring in, my wife came and played bass and on the song and, you know, at the Rock Hall and everything. She's a bass player. So being able to work with her and be in the music video with her. And then my cousin, Al Mothersbaugh, played trombone and he put together the horn section and wrote the horn part. So you know, all the rehearsals we had, all the filming and stuff with not only John, who's a good friend at this point, but also having my wife and my cousin, who I love, uh, be in the band, too. You know, really being able to bring in friends and family is, like, becoming more and more important and a source of joy for me. Beautiful. Oh, you're so blessed. You're so blessed. I know. <laughs> I know I am. I'm very grateful. It does not escape me for a second. Yeah. And what a, you know we all get to receive from your blessings, you know, in so many ways. And many people don't even know they're receiving so. from your blessings, you know, in, in the mainstream world, right? Because in creation and television yeah. and film, you know, we take for granted what sound, you know, uh, music and sound enhances in the, the overall scheme of what we're experiencing. And mm -hmm. so it's nice to get to just share with you and hear your process and also, you know, appreciate you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, where, if you don't mind giving a shout out, uh, sure. where your website is and social media and all that mm -hmm. good stuff. Yeah. Um, SilasHeight.com. If you just go there, you'll find links to everything. I'm pretty active on in terms of updating people about my music and uh, my projects and stuff. I use Twitter and Facebook, pretty much. So you can just find those links or just Google Silas Height, Twitter, and Facebook. You know, you'll find me pretty easily. Fortunately, my name's pretty unique, but uh, yeah. yeah. And there's, if you start diving in there, you'll find more music than you could ever shake a stick at. Beautiful. Well, Silas, it's been such a treat to have you here, and I'm excited to get in the kitchen with your album. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> I'll send you a note. Uh, and yeah, we'll see what occurs. Maybe uh, KLBP can create some magic down here for your album with food. That would be fun. I would so, be thrilled to participate. Yeah, that's, in any way, that sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome, and uh, you have a beautiful day. Once again, I want to thank Silas for joining us today. Please stay a little bit longer. We're going to listen to a couple of his tracks from 
songs for a dinner party and stay tuned we'll keep you updated as far as an event upcoming with silas and good food around his album and klbp until next time this is she signing out have a blessed day and we'll connect again soon Mm -hmm.